0: Hello, and welcome once again to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. Well, four that they would preserve because they cherish them, and one that they regret and would like to see buried in the ground so that they never have to think about it again. My guest in this episode is David Mitchell. David is one of our most successful authors with such books as Cloud Atlas, Last Man Standing, and... What? Oh. Oh, the other David Mitchell. Really? Oh. Oh, all right. Um, David Mitchell, the actor, who is one of the nicest men in the world, despite all his protestations, is, I'm delighted to say... My guest in this episode. As a student, David was president of the Cambridge Footlights, where he met his longtime comedy partner and friend, Robert Webb, and a recurring performer in many of his shows, Olivia Colman. David and Robert went on to write for Armstrong and Miller and the comedy series Big Train, before being given their own show, first on BBC Radio with That Michelin Webb Sound, and then on TV, with the BAFTA winning That Michelin Webb Look. At the same time, they began performing in the Channel 4 smash hit, Peep Show. As well as becoming a regular columnist for The Observer and The Guardian, David co-hosted 10 O'Clock Live with Jimmy Carr, Charlie Brooker and Lauren Laverne. He is the presenter of the Radio 4 series The Unbelievable Truth and is a regular team captain on Would I Lie to You with Lee Mack and Rob Brydon. In 2016, he was cast as William Shakespeare in Ben Elton's BBC sitcom Upstart Crow, which became a hit West End play, and which he was performing in at the Gilgood Theatre in London when lockdown closed all theatres. And that's what David and I are discussing when you join our conversation. Well, specifically, we're talking about My Tomatoes. And I'm sure that if anything is going to keep you listening, it's My Tomatoes. Sadly, we also talk about other things. Still, I hope you enjoy it. And the only thing that I have achieved in that whole time is I grew an enormous number of tomatoes. Uh, Oh, well, that, you know. That's not nice. That's not a bad year. (laughs) I had such an enormous collection of tomato plants. So I planted them all over my garden, everywhere. If it had been hemp. Yeah. I would have been arrested. Do you think that,
1: is that? Do you think how farms start? That people get <laughs> I've got this wheat. I just wanted three or four, and but I've got no one wanted them, and so now it's. But used to be a garden. It's a wheat field. I mean, <laughs> got rid of everything at the rhododendrons. And the I now can't think of any other sorts of the roses. All gone. Just it's wheat. Absolute monoculture. I mean, I love it, but other people think it's samey. <laughs> Um, so did you? You got a lot of tomatoes from the plants. They weren't all eaten by foxes and rats. No, and... no we
0: didn't have a chicken eaten by a, a fox. Right, but they that's didn't so. make a tomatoey sauce. <laughs> no, no something to go with it. <laughs> it wasn't an Italian fox. but well, all in all, it's been ridiculous, isn't it? I can't yeah. believe
1: the amount of time that's gone by. No, yeah, it's. Um, I d- yes, I don't know. So many days slid past, and. Oh. When I think about my diary for this year, which was, you know I so was busy fitting projects around each other, that sort mm. of thing, which is a fortunate position to be in, but it was kind of headache to kind of go, how, when do we do that? When you know, and uh, and it got it all to fit. It's like there it is, a perfect jigsaw, and then someone takes a wrecking ball to it. Yeah. You know, the whole thing, everything crossed out. None of that is happening. <laughs> that was like that was some joke scheduling. You did <laughs> to practice scheduling. And no, cancelled. Yeah. Um but it's probably good for us as a as a sort of overmighty species, isn't it? To realise that that all of our plans are provisional and and indeed that there's only one habitable planet we're aware of in the universe. And Literally, no one could get away from it. However, you know, there wasn't the place where the rich people can go where there's no COVID. You know, no. Prince Charles got it. Mm-hmm. You know, so there you are. You can't, you can't escape it. You can't so escape we, it. we have to some, somehow keep this blue ball going. Yes. Um, as Ronnie O'Sullivan might say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think he has the wit. <laughs> He might do that with that cue ball control. He must do. I, he I can't must believe
0: do. it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I saw somebody did a podcast with him recently, quite a self serious one about um, how do you cope with depression and those sort of things. I think he thinks quite deeply about those things, doesn't he? And he, goes he he's
1: always been the troubled snooker player, hasn't? I mean, you know, yeah. uh, Alex Higgins was the troubled snooker player as well, but sort of dealt with it in a different way. Yeah, but it's very much yes, I'm. Kept saying, it seemed, when I was really into snooker, it seemed every year Ronnie O'Sullivan would threaten to retire. (laughs) And you could see the whole of the snooker world panic because he was such a big star. And, (laughs) you know, and then he wouldn't retire, obviously, because what he has done with his life is play snooker. And he he must, on some level, be really into it. Yes. (laughs) So he would inevitably
0: go back into it and they would be relieved. And Uh, and there's quite a lot of money involved in it. There there is, yes. (laughs) Yes. But uh, I did see recently that one of the snooker players in the World Championships was asked by one of the reporters, have you heard what Ronnie said? And he said, I haven't, no, but did he say he's not playing very well, his action's gone and he's almost certainly going to lose? <laughs> and he said, yeah, he did say that. He says, yeah, he says that before every final. <laughs> I, see, I mean, he's absolutely the, the, the swat who says he hasn't revised
1: yeah. before oh. the exam. Oh, I haven't done anything. Uh, just yeah. you can find the I haven't had time, time, time for snooker. I've been, you know, reading a lot of philosophy. <laughs> then someone told me the book was upside down. Yep, that's Ronnie for you. <laughs> I think he really obviously is, you know, in some way wants to think about things. He wants to philosophise beyond snooker. It can't, the world can't just be snooker. But at the same time, the majestic simplicity of the green baize <laughs> still draws him in. And, you know, the thing is, he's good enough at potting that people will listen for a surprisingly
0: long time yes. to what he's thinking. Almost as good at potting as I am with my tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> and there you are full yes. circle yeah. David Mitchell thank you very much for talking absolutely. to me absolutely it's the, been lovely. the blue ball the red ball <laughs> the planet earth the tomato it's, it's all there yeah. all life is there right okay so um, we should talk about the things that you want to put into a time capsule yes um, well the first thing should I say the first thing I would
1: like to put in is, um, and this this would be a technological challenge. But I've noticed other people are putting whole concepts into this capsule, so it's you know whole continents. Yeah. yeah. Um, But in in a way, it should be theoretically easier to put a continent in than a concept. Yes. You know, because at least that we're dealing with physical objects. Mm -hmm. They, you know, Asia should be able to go in to just a very large capsule. Yes. But could you put hope in? (laughs) I'd like to put, however, more simply. A, a joe's ice cream in and a joe's ice cream is an ice cream parlor in swansea mm. and this would obviously involve a refrigeration slash freezing unit yes and long-term battery or uh, yeah, you don't valve. want just a creamy puddle exactly no. otherwise yeah i would make the cone soggy and i would have a cone with standard joe's ice cream which is their ice cream i think it's nominally vanilla They also, these days, do a whole range of different flavours like everyone does. But Mm. what they have historically produced is an ice cream. And they have that and they do it with chocolate bits on. Chocolate, Mm. I think Mm. they're called chocolate vermicelli. Like (laughs) hundreds and thousands, but all chocolate coloured. With that on, and that would go in there as the nicest ice cream in the world. I've got a few branches now. And the original one is in a sort of centre of Swansea but the one I most went to as a child was when they opened up in the Mumbles Uh because my grandparents lived in Swansea my mum was born there and we used to go there go to the Gower so it's that's the sort of core memory of my childhood yeah and I went back there when I was doing a show at the theatre there with Lee Mack and Rob Brydon and I went and had a Joe's ice cream, and it's just the same. Uh, they haven't messed around with it. As I say, they have also got a cabinet, of so you can have pistachio and all this. You can ignore of, that. That thing. But ignore that. Just get their ice cream. It comes from a hole in the counter. It's sort of a bit sloppy. Mm. And it's unlike any other ice cream. And I think it's the most delicious. Although I would accept there will be people who think... I like ice cream, and this is different from ice cream, and I don't like it. So, so it's not homemade. like a traditional walls so, ice cream. So it's it's not. The, yeah. but I don't, homemade, is it? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're professionals. So, you know, it is made uh, in some sort of professional ice cream facility. but um, <laughs> Or their home. It, well, I mean, it's, it's like you used to think of it as your garden. Now, of course, it's a professional <laughs> tomato-growing zone. <laughs> Indeed. So maybe it started more homey, but, you know, next to the... Uh, whatever else was on the stove. Do you put ice cream on the stove? I somehow doubt it. <laughs> but um, anyway, now it's, I imagine, a factory. But another nice sort of factory. Yeah.
0: There is heat involved in the process of freezing, isn't there? Must be. Yeah. The heat comes out of the back of a fridge. I mean, yeah. you've got to take the heat out of it. You've got Exactly. It's got to go somewhere. Hasn't David, it? we know yeah.
1: nothing about this no, at all, do we? I think what is clear is that there is a certain amount of coldness and hotness in the universe and nothing can change that. <laughs> no. I think that's... An insight Zeus had. Um,
0: mm.
1: <laughs> but, yes, it's absolutely true. Around fridges, it gets warm. Yeah. In them, it's cold. Is it? Is it? So, overall, they've achieved nothing. <laughs> Why didn't they just leave it all yeah, where it was? just leave it where it was. Stop it's messing just all up. adding up to the same whatever it was. But this is not Joe's fault, is it? No. No, no, no. Joe, I, I mean, Joe, because this is an ice cream parlour that was, I think, set up by... Italians who moved to Swansea in, like, the 1920s. I think there were a lot, weren't there? Yeah. And it was... No, what it was, which is brilliant, was quite successful. If it was very successful, it would be in every freezer everywhere and it would be a pale shadow of whatever recipe originally came over from Italy. Mm -hmm. But because it's only been successful enough to go from the 1920s to now, from one branch to maybe four... Mm. mm, then it's still basically the same thing, but four times as many people could enjoy it. (laughs) So I would heartily recommend it. But it's it's a sort of key flavour in the centre of my childhood because it was the happiest time for us as a family was going to Swansea and going to the beach. And I, you know, sort of identified very strongly with Swansea as a place. And then my grandparents died and my parents live in Oxford and we never go there and it's gone. Mm. Is sort of, uh, and so I, it would be nice to be there in the time capsule to remind me of that um, part of my childhood and because yes. I had a nice childhood, you know. I don't look back on it in, in a you know. I got stressed about things as you might imagine, <laughs> but I sort of think, no, fair play, everyone. You gave me a nice childhood. I was loved, and I felt like I mattered, and I had nice experiences. But also, I wasn't born in the lap of ridiculous
0: luxury that then left me unprepared for a world where you have to pay a gas bill. So, you know. <laughs> Those places are gorgeous, aren't they? My children have a place in France that my wife's parents moved to France. Mm. And so I know, particularly my son, is desperate for me to buy a small place in France so that he can basically give his children the same experience that he had, which is turning up at this place in the middle of nowhere in the countryside in France and just Messing about in rivers and walking across countryside and picking sunflowers and eating in the garden. Hmm. That's what he'd like to do with them. And my wife said, I don't want a place in France. My parents had a place in France. We, I felt we're going to France. <laughs> <laughs> so we've never done it. Get his own place in France. <laughs> we, can't, we can't
1: all be buying people <laughs> places in France just for <laughs> childhood experiences. And well, also, it doesn't work with the... Ch- if, there's, if, it's that, if there's that much paperwork and hassle... The sunflowers won't work when basically you see your grandparents beside themselves with, with the admin of what local taxes they're supposed to pay and no. you know Apparently we've never paid the water rates forever. I've got this incomprehensible letter and Credit Agricole say oh, I'm a
0: felon. It would be a bit like those scenes towards the end of Groundhog Day, you know, when Bill Murray is desperate to be the most wonderful person to spend a day with. Mm-hmm. No, yes. Oh, the, yeah. I, love I love kids, kids. I love That's kids. That's the moment. <laughs> that that <laughs> would be what he'd be yeah. desperately saying to yeah. some of his children. This is what the holiday in France is like, it's brilliant. Come on, yeah. look, sunflowers, sunflowers. <laughs> you see the
1: sunflowers, the memory, of the fish in the street. You're fishing in the street. I mean, now look, we're in the garden. This is the garden. This is a memory, right? <laughs> Hold a sunflower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get a picture of it. <laughs> yes. Try and smile.
0: <laughs> yep. I think when you try to go back yeah. like that... that well, you wouldn't... Work. My I
1: mean, you wouldn't have chosen Swansea as the <laughs> place for uh, uh, idyllic childhood memories, because Swansea is a... You know, is it's not Venice. No. And, and it wasn't Venice even before the Luftwaffe had a massive go at it, and it wasn't Venice even before the uh, town planners had a <laughs> massive go at repairing it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, is, it's It's not picturesque although the Gower Peninsula is picturesque, but it was where my grandparents lived, so it was a magical place of escape. And you, as a child, you don't see things in the aesthetically conventional way adults do. No. So I had so many things I loved. As we drove into Swansea, there was a huge warehouse by the docks with sort of faded writing on it and loads of smashed windows. And for me, it just looked like the most amazing, spooky sort of castle and then there was, driving along the front, along the Mumbles Road, there was a sort of metal bridge, which is sort of a, a curved metal bridge. Just a, And for me, it looked like a chip. And I associated <laughs> chips with Swansea because My grandfather used to make chips a lot. And uh, for me, it was amazing. It was a bridge in the shape of a chip. But you also what it was, was quite an ugly iron bridge. Yeah. But for me, it, it, was, it was just different. There wasn't one near us. And, it, you know, so all the weird... Not necessarily that attractive things that were there mm. became things I loved because of the positive associations of my grandparents and fish and chips and ice cream and the seaside.
0: Yeah, um, yeah,
1: by the sea, always yeah. a good thing. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's a thing that's in some mad way wired into all of us. I mm. remember being on the south of France at some point. You drive along the Promenade des Anglais and when yes. it's in Nice, and it varies and you pass these huge buildings. And that all the windows are wherever possible facing the sea because everyone wants a sea view. And it's, um, there's something crazy about it because, mm. because it's just what, what we just want to stare at. It's a bit like the Easter <laughs> Island heads. Or so. You sort of feel there's a, a mania for staring at this water. Yeah. That mean that we will pay huge amounts of money for a smaller f- flat that looks on that rather than the larger one that just looks on, you know. and That's true. And in fact the view the other way in these of the hills beautiful. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. But it's the sea you want. I mean and I absolutely feel that, but I don't know quite why. No. No. But you get to the sea and you just go, Okay, I, mean, I want to have a look at this. I want a room <laughs> where I can look at it. I will be reading a book, but when I look up from the book I wanna be able to see it. Yes. Because it's sort of I don't know, calming. It's just sort of indefinably nice. Even when it's raging. Yeah, well, that's another thing about it. you. Sort of, If you had a house by the sea, seeing it in different moods mm. would be, you know, the, it's kind of great to look at if there's a storm, if it's really sunny, or even if it's a sort of mundane, drizzly day, it's still kind of fascinating.
0: Mm. It's not logical. No, <laughs> no. I have a friend who bought a house in St Leonard's uh, overlooking the sea, and it was a wonderful 1930s design, built on the design of a ship, so it was steel centre this thing, and then concrete all round it to make it, you know. And, of course, the steel in the sea air started to fall to pieces. (laughs) It was a very bad design. (laughs) So he bought this flat for remarkably cheap. My word, this flat was cheap, Mike. It was great. (laughs) About a year later, they all had to... Pay another hundred thousand pounds <laughs> to replace the, to get its the rusted steel core. I don't
1: know why I'm laughing. He's yeah. a friend of mine. It's, yeah. it's
0: cruel, really. Yeah.
1: Well, uh... it's but we all despise, don't we? Those attempts at sort of uh, architectural <laughs> <Yeah>. innovation. <laughs> yes. Don't try and do it differently, you idiot. <laughs> Uh, even though, obviously, then, when those innovations work, we love them. But yeah. the first person doing a flying buttress, you just go, why? Just do it, well, do it like the old churches before them, you know. Big why? bricks on top of big bricks, it's yeah. obvious. Yeah, then they can't fall down, definitely. What's this? <laughs> Little you know? thin runs? Yeah. Are you mad? What's the point? <laughs> I find that any kind of that sort of technological innovation very threatening. You know, I sort of kick against it and love to see it fail and as far as i'm concerned there is nothing hypocritical about nevertheless enjoying all of the innovations up to the point when (laughs) i sort of achieve consciousness yes that's fine they were right all the innovators that got us as far as central heating and uh, the dishwasher and all that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but then now it's going too far it's okay yeah I don't mind medical science improving. That's, that's all right as well. That, that feels like it might impact positively on me. Yes. Whereas an update on an iPhone, I find, doesn't impact positively on me. <laughs> no. no. I find that wastes some of my time. <laughs> And, and yet I'm paying to waste it. Yes. Yeah. But the, the, we get driven to upgrade them endlessly, even though you just want them to keep working in the way mm. you were used to. Yes. Yeah. Um, the only thing that might make me want to go into space is that they... Oh, I don't want to go into space. <laughs> I, in fact, I refuse to go into space. If, okay, you know, I won't I should, make you. Yeah. But apparently they use quite old-fashioned computers in that sort of situation because they need to know... Yeah. they're not going to suddenly crash for no reason. I mean, you know, computer crash. Yeah. But that could, in an astronaut scenario, lead to an actual physical crash. Yeah. Um, and so they use quite clunky computer technology, but they, they're they clunky in a reassuring way. And they know it's going to yeah, work. Yeah, and I would like a mobile phone that's astronaut-proof. That's like Imagine I'm going into space and I'm going to be driving the rocket with mm. this phone. I want that one. And if you say, well, you can't make calls, I'll accept that. But <laughs> I don't want the sort of temperamental kind of uh, fidgety stallion of a machine no. that can do amazing things on a good day and if you know how to work it, but it's just so, oh, no, it keeps crashing. But the great thing is it can, you know, theoretically, the lamppost will know you're there and it'll be just light enough for you. You know. <laughs> oh, okay,
0: uh, no, Hang on a minute. That could be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: well, you know, there's that thing they were said about, Piccadilly Circus, the um, advertising there. It can is, is that it's going to be aimed at people. It's going to be aimed at people. It's going to know the people in the area. Oh, yeah, here's a, here comes a gambling addict or whatever. Quick Paddy Pound or whatever. Ooh. Here comes a guy that likes Trifle. Quick major Trifle brand. I, I'm, I'm not aware of a Trifle brand. <laughs> no. it, maybe it's not marketed in the same way as gambling. But, you know, that. <laughs> and and but what that means, and this is what i hate is it means that no two people are looking at the same thing there's no objective reality anymore that to add it to the subjectivity of our own judgment is that actually what we're experiencing is different and that's the internet all over isn't it everything's curated for us and they you know and i just sort of feel no i I want to be able to show me the normal internet and let me look for things in it and i like that search engine great but but there is no normal internet when i go online it's just the internet for me and it's, you know, it's what you made it by, yeah. by what you looked at and so then you go out into the world saying oh apparently this terrible thing's going on but the, the only reason i know about this terrible thing's going on is some algorithm has said oh yeah that's going to particularly get his goat and yeah. he's going to click 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 to find out more about this awful little wormhole of human activity yeah. whatever it is and i might have been oblivious or seen it in a wider context if some computer hadn't decided, no, that's exactly what he will be fearful of. Because well, if, yeah. if you'd looked at it at the same time as everyone else yeah. and seen their reaction. Yeah, well, yes, absolutely. Mm. But, that's, but that, that's what they, I mean, that's the thing about the news media. You sort of realize, of course, the way you get traffic online with news is not by making it entertaining or interesting, but by making it worrying. And that's when we delve down deeper. Oh, hang on, what's this headline? Yeah. And then you click and then, you know, hopefully you then go, oh, that's not as bad as they made it seem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. But but that's that those not as bad as you they made it seem moments. That's how they make them money. Yes. <laughs> so that this is huge enterprise designed to unsettle us, <laughs> not inform us. I mean, if they're good websites, they can't actually lie. But the way the information is given, it has to be in the most unsettling way, because otherwise it's, otherwise it's the news. It's boring. Yes. We'll turn, I remember it's that as a child. Oh, uh, now we're going to watch the news. Oh, the news. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> when was the last time we felt that? The news is ever-present, ever-terrifying. Let's just check, what well, are they closing down now? What's, you know, yeah. what's Brexit going to mean we won't be able to get? Well, you know, And that's because we drive it. With our oh, i better check that oh, right, no, that's not, not on my postcode, or whatever, and then immediately that's justified its continued existence. Oh, it's no. awful. I
0: want to go oh, back no, to the news, helped. nine o'clock, and it's boring. Yes, you know? and it's just information about things you're not very interested in. Yeah, exactly. Mm.
1: First duty of government should be to stop the news <laughs> impacting the people who
0: vote for them. Be boring. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, vote boring. the budget. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want to walk through Piccadilly Circus and have somebody next to you go, "Oh, look!" and laugh, and you're seeing a starving child. <laughs> oh, is it, we well, say, I don't think yet that
1: if two people are there at the same time, there can be different images. Oh, thank goodness yeah. for that. So, in this that scenario, would only happen if the person you're with would see a starving child and laugh. <laughs> which Obviously, that you know there are such people, but what might come up is. Um, and says patent bum cream, yes. <laughs> but it turns out you've spent £2,000 on
0: it in the last year. In public, in yeah. the street. Everyone's looking around Piccadilly, who's the bum cream guy? <laughs> Hang on a minute. Yeah, Busty dominatrix? <laughs> Where's he? Yeah. A man sheepishly moves away from yeah. the crowd. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know if they've actually managed to do that at Piccadilly Circus, by the way. The last time I was there, there was it just still said Sanyo. and I'm I'm not a big spender on Sanyo. I can't remember the last Sanyo thing I bought.
0: Well, the next time I go through it and it shows garden sheds, I'll know, I know they've done it. Yes. (laughs) Because that's what I look at most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's my main interest. I never buy them. I just love garden sheds. Right, well, uh, rather obviously then, I'm going to take... Joe's ice cream. Yeah. Do you want chocolate sprinkles on I, it? I definitely want chocolate sprinkles. Chocolate sprinkles and some form of refrigeration. Yeah. And that's going into the time capsule. So that's your first item. Yeah, I'm worried now that the cone
1: will inevitably get a bit damp because obviously it's not good I for it, it to be refrigerated. keep the ice cream separate from the cone until you need it. it Maybe the cone could be in some sort of drying facility, you know, to keep it crisp, and then the ice cream ball, and then they become assembled when the time capsule is open. Mm.
0: You may be overthinking this. Okay. <laughs>
1: It's just an idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? Um, next, I'd like to put and this I don't know. I, I put I, I thought of these uh, the other day and now I'm I'm looking at where I'm going to see awful. Um, gonna, <laughs> yes, a Nazi flag. No, no. Um, <laughs> it's no, no. Let me explain the no, uh, no. I'd like to put in a footlight tie. Uh and that's because uh, when I was I was at university, I was in the Footlights Club, of which yeah. you obviously are aware of, and it's a comedy club at Cambridge University, and that it has a tie. Um, there are basically no occasions on which the tie is worn now, but the tie is sort of a hangover from when it was a more old-fashioned sort of club in the I don't know any time from the late nineteenth century onwards, and where people sort of wore ties all the time. I'm very proud to have a tie of this club that I was very proud to be part of. So I'm putting that in as a sort of the symbolic object of going to Cambridge, meeting Robert Webb, doing comedy in a sort of serious but fun way and that becoming a plausible job path mm. so that's my that's it
0: symbolizes that to me even though it's sort of obviously a slightly yeah so what did you study at thing? Cambridge um history history so not really the great well I don't know history great source of comedy <laughs>
1: it's, it's, now I think there's humor in it but mm. I did basically very very little work the minimum to get through because there was so much theater and comedy that you could just get involved in and it was brilliant and it's sort of i I have to, you know, when things when you start because I've been doing this job for a long time now, and you can take it for granted that yeah. you know you've got this job and you you know there it is. Yeah. I, I've got I'm you can sort of lose what's that thing imposter syndrome when people feel that they shouldn't be there Ooh. and they're sometimes wrong about that kind of thing. Well, I think imposter syndrome when you're <laughs> when you've got a job as nice as being a comedian is a sort of. Uh, important act of gratitude and duty. <laughs> you lose the imposter syndrome then you start shouting at runners you know <laughs> so um I try and make myself remember how amazing and lucky that experience was I'd heard that people at Cambridge had this club to do comedy and people like you know Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and before that John Cleese and Graham Garden had been in that club and I heard that it was still going and I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if you could go there and practice doing sketches and then that might be your job. And it just felt like that possibility, I sort of knew it was theoretically there, but it also felt like Narnia. And it happened for me. I went there, I did loads of comedy and plays and now it's my job. And that's, you know... That's amazing, and I, however grim the world may seem, and in lots of ways, I have to remember how fortunate I am in that, and this tie is a sort of symbol of that.
0: Yes. Um, and it's also a physical object, players?
1: not like hope, no. or Doctor Who that Mark Gates put in. How, how can you put that in? Doctor Who put in what? Intellectual property? <laughs> no, no, yeah. all of them. It's <laughs> no, for these poor fellas. old actors, some of them dead. It's very cruel. Yeah. Uh, so, but with <laughs> this, what I'm saying is a tie. Thank you, you. Can, you can put that in. Yes, I can. I keep it away from the refrigeration unit. I say. <laughs> cause, uh, you
0: know, there'll be a, a cupboard with a proper tie hanger. <laughs> all Good. For so, it, even for the one tie? One of those multi hangers, yeah, but it sits there on its on its own. Well,
1: well, as you said, this is a capsule large enough for a continent, so right. there should be room to keep a tie uncreased. <laughs> I would say yeah. plenty of room. So, did you meet Robert straight off when you? Yeah, pretty quickly. I was in. I met him in an audition for the Footlights pantomime. He was a year above me and was already sort of a Footlights committee member and sort of one of the people deciding things. And we were both in an audit, so he was basically already already in the show, although not officially. Ooh. And I was just auditioning, and I just remember I remember him as looking very cool. <laughs> now that's that was my perception, and my perception of cool is inaccurate. So maybe he didn't, <laughs> but, I, but I remember that he, he, he wore a lot of. And I'm now going to describe him, and maybe people say no, that's not cool. That's <laughs> I remember he had quite long hair and earring, and wore a lot of denim. I thought, oh, mm. that that. You know, not that's, cool. That's uh, that's, that's different. Really cool, from, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. right? Really cool, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure he looked cooler than me, anyway. But, <laughs> uh, and, but I thought, um, but I also thought he was very funny. I sort of thought he looked a bit like he'd be into music, and yet he was very funny. And I thought, oh, that's yeah. I'm I'm discovering that not all funny people have uh, you know bow ties and, <laughs> and and sort of James Callahan glasses. You know, that, yeah. they're not all yeah. like the two runners. Yes, that's it. That's yes. exactly what I've described, isn't yes. it? The, yeah, Ronnie Barker. Ronnie Barker. Yeah. James. That's a funny man. Yeah. Got to be slightly overweight. Yeah. To be funny. That's certainly a principle I've held with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that was met him then and then we did a started doing shows together about a year later. And and that you know was great because we sort of have different performing personas and yet we find the same things funny Mm. and we just really felt from the first time we went on stage together that we were greater than the sum of our parts that there was a sort of third element we it clicked Mm. we were very lucky it clicked and we were very sensible to realize it and I, I think we both kind of thought all right you know this is this if we're going to do this as a job we're going to need a bit of good fortune and we're going to need to spot it when we get it. And we did spot it. And things have always gone, for us in performance terms, that they, they just have gone a little bit better than than they might. Mm. And I think it's, there is a sort of um, performing chemistry that we stumbled across. Yeah, so, and easier to approach it as a pair. Well, absolutely, totally. And psychologically, uh, you're sort of dealing with stressful situations there's someone else to talk to. Mm. Um and, but we did And you feel uh, less. One of your, mad. Very,
0: your very early pilots we did for ITV. Yes, yeah, yeah. And IDV were terribly keen on the pair of you. And yet their reason for not doing it seemed to me that you weren't famous. <laughs> and you go, well, well, it, well, of course they're not. Yes. It was, um, I mean, that's always the thing with
1: tv isn't it they're so conflicted they'll put development money into people they haven't heard of but then they won't actually put the real money in and they sort of feel that that's a good compromise mm. yeah, but actually you just totally wasted the development money because <laughs> yeah. if you if you make a pilot and then nobody sees it you, you know you're better off not to make it but that's why radio works so yeah. well because they will take a punt on mm. the radio but it was actually a factual thing it was actually channel four not itv channel uh, 4. yeah i don't know if itv would have me on even now. <laughs> they don't make much comedy, ITV, now, do they? So what would be your 6.30 game show on ITV? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's cool. You've got to give people... It's got to be big. and There's it's got to be a lot of money. Yes. Jeopardy. Yeah. I know. So... Kill the billionaire. <laughs> it's one-on-one. A billionaire and a member of the public, they have to wrestle in a glittering arena, (laughs) and maybe we need some dancing, maybe we alternate the wrestling and dancing, I don't know, And, and a point tally is kept, and one person obviously has to die, but if it's the billionaire, you keep their billions, and if it's the other person, ITV doubles the billionaire's billions. So is that workable? I'm, I'm on the phone immediately. Yeah, yeah. From I mean, there. it's difficult casting the billionaires because what have they got to gain? <laughs> well, twice as much. Yeah, I suppose so. There's a type of person that would care about having three billion pounds when they already had three billion pounds. Only a billionaire. A billionaire. Anyone else would go. Oh, do you know what? Half a billion, and I'm, I'm sorted. I really I've run out of ideas after about you
0: know twenty million. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Although you say that. <laughs> Uh, you start thinking about twenty million, and and you would soon think if only it was fifty. Mm. Then you know that's why billionaires I... would fight to the death. <laughs> exactly. for another three billion. Yeah, because they're, they're thinking my seventh super yacht hasn't got a third helipad. <laughs> I pretty... feel humiliated at Cannes. <laughs> 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 oh
0: my God! What a dreadful world. <laughs> <laughs> so was Olivia
1: part of that yes. footlights as well? Yes, she was. Well, she was. Um, she was in that same pantomime that Rob and I met. on. was wow. also where I met um, her and she was just, she was brilliant. And I do remember being on stage with her and being on stage with Rob and thinking, Oh, this is different from mm. doing plays at school. This feels really like these people know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then I was in lots of other plays at university at, that I thought actually is quite like place at school, <laughs> but then you know, not everything had you know a future Oscar winner
0: and, and my future comedy partner in no. you know and no, I um, did uh, people like Us, I think maybe one of the first television things that Olivia did. She was extraordinary. Yeah, no. she was so perfect and so much better than the rest of us. And she'd never done anything. <laughs> so yeah, no, there we are. Yeah, she, she's really brilliant.
1: You hear a lot of people talk about meeting that sometimes people's success is surprising. And you go, and go oh, no, I met them, and, they, you know, with her, I absolutely... If, if you would ask me in the January of 1994 who that you've met will win an Oscar, <laughs> I'd swear I would have said her. Yeah.
0: Because,
1: um, yeah, she's brilliant.
0: Yeah.
1: Now I, I feel I should th- say something negative about her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, brilliant, but um, mm. selfish. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, she, yeah, also all so nice. I mean, Not really nice, really um. nice and kind and fun and funny and has an impish sense of humour despite being nice. Not one of those impish sense of humour like mine that reveal actual inner hate <laughs> that I'm only allowing out to an impish extent in order to yes. remain part of society. No, no, just a nice little dig, but really she's, you know, heart of gold. Uh. Sickening,
0: sickening. Yes. Well, uh, she's not going in then. Yeah. <laughs> no. But we are going to put your footlights tie. Yes, in there please. And yeah. Keep it beautifully ironed and mm-hmm. neat. Yeah, and Lovely. yeah. Try and get some of the gravy stains out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is the symbol on it? For... There's no symbol. It's a stripe. Uh, uh, and it's proper, be- particular. Proper old school, then. Yeah, particular. And, it, and it's. I think. Can't actually. I could go and fetch it. But it's. I think it's. There's like a reddish one, a greyish one, and another one. It's not. You sort of. You're aware it's not the first club tie commissioned, that you know. The, some of the, some of the bigger colours went to earlier clubs. But it's, so its
0: uniqueness relies on quite an unpleasing combination of colours. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's your tie inside the time capsule. Yes. So we move on to item number three. Okay, we're going to take a break here for some adverts. I have no idea what these adverts are going to be, or in fact, if there are going to be any adverts. But here's the break anyway. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
1: Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
0: Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the adverts. Or the silence. Right, let's get back to David and find out what else he would like to put into his time capsule?
1: Well, item number three uh, is sort of continuing a sort of loathsome theme mm. in, my, in terms of the object. My item number three actually, just because I like it as an object, but also for other related reasons, is my silver-topped cane. <laughs> and one of the reasons I put it in the time capsule is that I have never used it. <laughs> I bought it in an antique shop in Shrewsbury because I, as a child, thought, I love I don't know where I saw it on the telly or someone with a silver-topped cane, and I became obsessed with it. I wanted a silver-topped cane, and you used to actually be able to get plastic ones (laughs) at Jokershaw, which would sort of have the silver top would be white and then a black, but it was just a plastic thing, and you could put a cap on the bottom. I think the idea is it was like a magician's thing. You could put a cap on the bottom and bang it on the ground, and it would go bang, and so my parents bought me one of those. Unfortunately, what I wanted was the one I'd seen on TV, which was a real one. Mm. (laughs) And they, for some reason, thought that was an inappropriate present for an (laughs) eight-year-old. So I never got my real silver-top cane. And so when I saw one in a shop in Shrewsbury, it was the year after I'd got married, We were as an anniversary trip, we went to North Wales and Shrewsbury and drove around, and it was lovely. And we went into an antique shop looking for things for the house, which we'd also just recently bought. And so I was thinking, I've got, I've got a house, I've got a wife, I've got stairs, you know. And I saw this silver top cane and I thought, oh, I'd like to buy that. And it was it was about, it was about 25 quid, I think. It was probably the only silver plate. It's got, and, and, yeah, and now I own it. <laughs> I've got a silver top cane. In fact, another thing I wanted as a child was a top hat. People won't be surprised to learn <laughs> no, no. that. But uh, again, my parents got me a plastic one. Um, you know, you can get the sort of. I didn't um, think well, it was a good idea to go to school in one. Well, I yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't send me to. You know, they sent me. I went to went to private schools, but not the sort where you wear top hats. You no. know, that's the sort of the middle ranking, as it were. Um, But what I wanted, of course, was, again, I'd seen it and I could tell the difference from the plastic one. I wanted a silk top hat like Jeremy Brett wore as Sherlock Holmes, that kind of thing. Uh, Anyway, so my wife bought me one of them for Christmas a few years ago. So I now have a top hat and a silver topped cane. I don't have an opera cloak, but (laughs) um, but there's literally... You know, no occasion, even pre-lockdown, no occasions where it's de rigueur to wear a top hat and carry it to a top game. <laughs> uh, but I'm very proud to own one, and and, and it's a sort of, again, the sort of for me, it represents having having a grown-up life, having a you know living in a house with a wife I love, and now we've got a daughter, and that kind of all those things that I never thought uh, would would happen to me and i, I really never thought, thought it right up until my mid-30s you know mm. in, in the terms of um because i sort of felt like you know, okay i've got this job doing comedy and I, i'm very lucky to do that but but i'm not a proper person <laughs> no i don't and i still feel that quite a lot i don't have a driving license i don't wet shave those are the two key things that I, think. <laughs> I mean i'm not really a man um but in some ways that, that i'm getting away with it you know i i'm sitting in a house that and i'm on on the deeds probably not the deeds they're probably an online thing <laughs> yeah. you know uh, i'm paying a mortgage and, and you've got I've a got, wife who hasn't noticed you're um, not a man yeah she doesn't uh, you know i think on some level she quite likes it i think you know i'm t- if i'm wet shaved and drove a car i'd be a more formidable decision-making threat mm. in the in the house so i'm very happy to go along with just defer yeah exactly um, it's a good policy. If, if I wet shaved, it, I'd inevitably <laughs> be in charge. I mean, <laughs> that's, and I've got a silver topped cane. Marvelous. Except I've just
0: agreed to put that in a time capsule. Yeah, well, you know, I think you can take it out again if you need to, right? So you can have it back if the occasion. I would. If, if the I, invitation I with. I would say code. the reopening of Upstart Crow in the West End after five years of it sitting there <laughs> dormant yes advertising it but fine. everybody says oh they're all a bit old for the parts aren't they <laughs> yes i'm only a
1: few years off for when you know shakespeare died yeah yeah and well, what did he do with his life yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> one of the you know we were in upstart crow on the, in the west end and you know and it was going really well and then it was closed obviously because of the lockdown. Obviously, that did happen to Shakespeare. Quite often, the theatres were closed because yes. of plague. And then people were, some people said, oh, well, I think that's when he wrote King Lear or something. He went off, you know, played Gap and wrote King Lear. Yeah, um, like you do. Yeah. He was more productive <laughs> in general than I am. And some would say more talented. Uh, well, <laughs> some. Could he grow tomatoes? That's my question. I am certainly couldn't. No. that's No, no I don't think they... Had tomatoes by then, did they? Uh, but I don't know, but there was a long time when British people, or English people, I don't know, thought tomatoes were not edible. It's a thing it, I remember from the unbelievable truth that came up at some point. that They're, they're a fruit, aren't that they? they, they are, you see, that <laughs> maddens me. I mean, they are not a fruit. <laughs> but um, but the, the, So we didn't eat them in this country, and they I ate mean, them in Europe. And and then we started to eat. But I think really people thought, a bit like people thought you can't go swimming after a heavy meal because you'll drown. Yeah. People thought, no, you can't eat those. I don't know why they were around at all. If we, I don't know whether people were buying them just to remember not to eat them. <laughs> but, and then at some point people discovered <laughs> it was all right to eat them. And at some point after that, someone just started saying that they were a fruit. Yes. Which, um, this is a... Uh, uh, I, I was about to say bugbear and I've said bugbear and they, I can't think of a better word for it no. of mine that we accept when scientists say that a uh, tomato isn't a fruit or a strawberry isn't a berry or a peanut isn't a nut mm. and it is not their business <laughs> they need to stick to Latin like, <laughs> I, I completely accept that they can classify things scientifically till they're blue in the face and that is their role But they need to stay off language because that's, it's clear that in every practical way a tomato is a salad vegetable. Mm-hmm. It is not a fruit. And it's giving pedants a sort of free run that they shouldn't be given. Because a pedant wouldn't get very far with in scientific classification, tomatoes are in the same category as plums, not the same category as lettuces. You go all right, fine in- interesting that you've chosen to bore us, but there's there's no one upmanship to that <laughs> no. but whereas what they actually have been given is well, actually, I think you'll find that's a fruit. I don't want pedants to have that ammunition. No. I want them to go, no, it isn't. No. It's a salad vegetable, clearly as has been decided by society, by language, by chefs. (laughs) And then if you want to talk about their scientific classification, lovely, it's boring, but lovely. But you you can't start saying that we're, you know, in some way wrong about salads.
0: (laughs) So you want, well, do you want fewer pedants or less (laughs) (laughs) pedants? No, I mean, you've picked an area of pedantry
1: of mine there, yes. Okay, I would, I, would, I would like fewer pedants. Thank they? you. Less
0: pedantry. That's yeah. perfect. OK, yeah. well, then, and thus ends the lesson for today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I look forward to seeing photographs of you in a silk top hat, a silver top cane... And a tracksuit. And a cloak. I want the oh, cloak. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the cloak. The great, <sighs> yeah. yeah. You've got yeah. hire one just for the night, for that yeah. Upstart Crow reopens. Yeah. David Mitchell turns up in wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> He yes. was a <laughs> little withered old man. Yeah, he has no idea what's going on. <laughs> Everything's fed to him through an earpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Including his food. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, dear. Right, we've got two things left, David. Two, right. Next thing, um, which actually we've, we've referred to it a lot, actually, but I made this, in fact, I might change it quickly. I, I would change it quickly if I was that fleet of foot, but... Uh, because we've been talking in this area, so yeah. I sort of feel we've, we've covered the area a bit. Um, I'm I'm trying to produce this show at the same time as being in it. That's the there wrong- are. Edited. I was going to put in my Upstart Crow bald cap. Ah, um, because uh, having taken it from the TV to the stage, I'm very proud to wear it. Yeah. Very- and also, when when we uh, was first approached about doing Upstart Crow, and I went for lunch with. Ben Elton and Gareth Edwards, the producer, about. And this is, at this point, it had been commissioned, a script had been commissioned, and they were going to do a, a read-through in front of important people. So I had a lunch to discuss whether I'd like to do it. And obviously, it was hugely exciting to be approached by Ben Elton, mm. uh, who had said he had me in mind when he was writing it. Wow. Which I hadn't realised. So he'd, he'd been thinking about me typing away and in fact the the first thing he said to Gareth was so what we're really looking for is a younger David Mitchell (laughs) Um, because I was a bit old to play when the series was set in the early 1590s when he was about 30 and I was over 40 Mm. but we all reasoned they had a hard life back then they aged more quickly so I probably in my 40s I would pass for Elizabethan early 30s that was you know but the first thing Ben said, as I remember it, the first thing he said, he must have said hello. <laughs> but the first thing he said is, it would be great if you'd shave your head to play the part. I think that would be really great if you'd shave it back oh, no. to a sort of, you know, Shakespeare's receded hairline. And I said, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that quickly. and it, Yeah, because I thought, I mean... I, I'm you know my hairline has gone back a bit and in different places or you know but it's sort of basically there's hair on my head mm. I'm not gonna fuck with that you know let's just give it the chances I have no confidence that it would reset to what's <laughs> come there back. now what I need is to just leave well alone get it gently trimmed occasionally mm. there's no problem going bald but I don't want to go bald I don't want to make it happen. No, no, I encourage it. Yeah, that's my. I'll I'll take what nature gives me, um, but I'm not going to be profligate with the resources of hair that I have. Yeah, because this he was saying. Yeah, you grow it down at the back and shape. You know, and so we go. So what you're saying is, for long periods of the year, (laughs) I'm because it's not going to go back quickly. I'm going to look ridiculous. (laughs) Do we not have the technology to just make me look like that for, you know, for the time I'm on camera? And uh, so they relented and I was allowed to have a bald cap, um, like which took, sound. yeah, which took ages to put on every time. But, yes. uh, but, I, but at the same time, because I, I, um, I was also thinking, oh, maybe this is it. I won't get the part now because I won't shave my head. Oh you know, yeah, maybe this is me showing not, that not showing sufficient
0: commitment. Yeah. Mm. Um, but no, it was fine. Yes. I've had the bald cap. Yeah. I've worn it. And it does take ages to put on. The only thing I've ever kept from those sort of things is the mould of my face that was made for a fat suit. Oh, and I right. it Just yeah. made you fatter. Yeah, I've still got that. Yeah. It looks like a death mask. <laughs> so my, my wife for years has been saying, can you please get rid of that thing? That you at 30 looking dead. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing with an object like that. As soon as you throw it away...
1: That's it. You can always throw it away tomorrow.
0: Yeah. You can't unthrow it away. No. No, that's, yeah. No. We had work done on the house and uh, I have a feeling it's been mislaid. Not by me. Yeah. Not by me. Well, that's
1: irreplaceable. You can't be 30 again and, and... look dead. Yeah. I know. Gone. Yeah. <sighs> So I'm proud of the ball camp, because obviously I'm
0: mainly proud to do that show and to work with Ben Elton and, Mm. you know. And the cast, what a great cast. Great. I mean, Mark Heap is one of the funniest men alive, I think. He is, yes. He's got an individual way of being funny that is completely unique to him. Yeah, yeah. And he had it, I don't know if you ever saw him perform with uh, a fellow called Mark Arden when they were the two Marks. I didn't, no,
1: I, yeah, I've, I, I think I've heard of that, um, and he's an incredibly sort of skilled physical performer, Amazing. as well as vocally, you know, hilarious. And, yeah. Now, and he has, you know, the cast members that were scripted to be in the stage show. I'm glad to say they all were willing to do the stage show, mm. and we were. And but Mark's character Green had died by the time the stage show was set, because you know it's set about ten, fifteen years after the. TV show, but he came and played a different character. He's the only person who that played a, a, the sort of equivalent villainous threat, mm. but uh, but a, a different historical character. And was, I mean, he was great in the TV show, but a
0: whole new level of hilarious. Yeah. So Ben Elton, what an extraordinary man he is. His writing is amazing. Always uh, has absolutely been. is. And I saw his um, he did a stand up tour
1: last year for the mm. first time in a long time. It it was amazing don't think I've ever seen better stand-up, and to be doing that alongside. He was then writing the play. He'd just written the third series. He's um, published a novel last year. I mean, yes. he's so incredibly productive, and it's all great and interesting and about something and full of jokes. To work with him and get to know him has just been terrific. And I've sort of felt I have a lot of things to be grateful for in my career, and working with Robert Webb... For years, as you know, and continues to be brilliant, but I never thought, oh, there's a whole extra thing now. This totally from left field doing a different sort of sitcom, very like Blackadder, which I was obsessed with as a child. The closest to being in Blackadder <laughs> I could be without a time machine, I felt, yeah. was being this uh, studio sitcom set in Elizabethan period, written by Ben. It was, I, I you know, a huge and totally unexpected extra piece of good fortune Mm. that I just popped into Ben's head while he was thinking of uh, writing a Shakespeare thing and it's the only way I get cast is when people have imagined me doing it in (laughs) advance because I'm more like me than anyone else on earth that's the kind of casting I can nail it has to be me yeah if it's if they've only got me in mind then I will get it. If, if <laughs> Otherwise, not so much. I, I, I can't, but I can remain like me, you know. Yeah. Even when they're look,
0: really looking for a younger me, <laughs> you can get away I, yeah, with it. I can get away with it. So that's yeah. <laughs> not fair yeah. to play a younger you and then ask you to bald up as well. Exactly. Not yeah. fair. Yeah. The only person that that's happened with for me through my career has been Addie Hamilton, who rings me up and said, "I had you in mind when I was writing it," and it always turns out. To be a slightly peevish, easily annoyed, (laughs) over-competitive idiot. (laughs) Outnumbered, the man who couldn't bear to lose a tennis match, even though, you know, (laughs) uh, Trevor's World of Sport, a man who thought he was incredibly funny and talked too much and wasn't at all funny everybody else saw as an idiot <laughs> so have you spent and, a lot of social time with andy i have and <laughs> I have a feeling that i need to look at myself
1: how great though that as a as a comic performer what a great advantage you've gained by boring andy to tears all those years <laughs> you know you wouldn't expect you hit the jackpot
0: <laughs> oh good. well okay you're a bald cat yeah From Upstart Crow. Yeah. That's the fourth item to go into the time capsule. So we've got one item left. Now, really, this is something that you need to reject from your life. Well, what I'm looking at now, the listeners won't be aware.
1: I'm... Technologically astute enough to realize (laughs) that I can be heard but not seen. I'm looking at my mobile phone where I've put my list of things to put into the time capsule. And the thing I want to put in there and reject and bury and leave is my mobile phone. (laughs) It's the very thing you're using. And my weird, conflicted, but fundamentally loathing relationship with it is Mm. summed up by the fact that I nevertheless have this list of things on it, but I, you know, I because I, I, I can't put it in there, really, uh,
0: because... I don't I'm i going to ask you to move it away I from d- my recording, I, here, I, Oh, in you it see? does that thing of... Yeah, there's of another course. annoying thing that they do, you see, yeah. So, yeah. So um, is that they may I work. I sort of hope and it I, did for a
1: little just moment. Your, that just that interference, it, yeah.
0: you get that, did bit, it, bit, did it, that did horrible noise. Yeah. Yes, I'm.
1: if I did put it in there, I would just have to get another one, because that seems to be where we are. But I hate the extent to which I look at it I rely on it. I hate the fact that it brings the internet and bad news and social media, not just into my life, but into my pocket. Um, (laughs) And I think we'd be better off without them. And and I think that's the thing. Of course, they're like magic Mm. as a, child the idea that you could talk to people see them even and live video wherever you were it was like it was a star trek thing i mean, going yeah. the main star trek thing was traveling to other planets and we're a bit behind on that yeah
0: and and being able to transport yourself from one place to another
1: yeah that would be useful as well yes but but it's just one of the star trek things Ooh, quite a good one, and there right? it is and uh and you know to be able to access all this information and i i think it was uh in the podcast you did with Stephen Fry mentioned how Douglas Adams was a big fan of technology and how he after he died the smartphone was like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy like that machine and you know and obviously it is miraculous and wonderful like that but the thing that spoils it is everyone having one. (laughs) <laughs> if it was you think look at this great thing i can do i can do, but let's, everyone can let's give it to one hitchhiker yes exactly if it was just you that had a were able to call people wherever how convenient how brilliant i don't need to stay in to make phone calls to check my email i can go out everywhere i can have more recreation and fun because of this power i uniquely have mm. when everyone's got one It means you can never escape work. You can never escape phone calls. You have to use that superpower because everyone knows you've got it because they've got it, too. And so we don't escape the office. We don't escape work and we we don't escape bad news. And the positives are sort of neutralised by everyone having it. Mm. used to people used to meet up and they'd make arrangements and they'd stick to it now it's convenient to change them at the last minute or to inform people that you're being late but it's better overall if you can't inform people that you're going to be late 10 minutes in advance and then people won't be late yes and they you know and, and All houses have phones. If you really need to get in touch with them, you have to work out where they are and you could ring that building. I used to, as a student, (laughs) used to ring the pub and ask if so-and-so was there. Mm. And that worked quite well. And, you know, you could usually get in touch with someone quite quickly, maybe not definitely immediately. No. But you can't definitely get someone immediately now. They might have turned their phone off. Yes. And now it's maddening. I need to ring so-and-so. I've allowed no redundancy in the system. It is vital <laughs> that I obtain a conversation with them in seconds. <laughs> so I think we'd be better off without it. Have you been... So I want of... the concept in there, but no, no, I, mean, no. I want, you know, like
0: no. everyone's. So you want the mobile phone and the whole concept of yeah, the mobile that, phone. That, the smartphone. Everything. The, yeah. Buried. Locked away. Yeah. Gone. Very good, no? Well, it's very good. But I want to know if you've been sensible enough to to try and rein it back. Because I know so many people who rail against mobile phones and yet have push notifications set to on for everything. It's constantly going ping, bing, bong. Yeah, yeah, I do not have push notifications set to on for everything.
1: Mm. Although that feels like quite a small gesture. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> because you go and look i I've, anyway. I've, I've turned off push notifications so <laughs> i'm not gonna know about it until looking <laughs> at my phone every five yes, minutes. yes exactly mm. but you know in general i have i've deleted twitter from my phone mm. that was quite a big move big move yeah. and i don't go on twitter much at all now i'm just and i, I sort of sincerely feel it's a bad place and that a lot of the problems you know in terms of People getting bullied, people having horrendous arguments, people's careers being destroyed because they've crossed a line. Well, I, I sort of feel with all of those issues, people focus on the subject that is being discussed, whereas that, I think it, the problem comes from the place it's being discussed mm-hmm. and from the existence of social media as a place that seems to dominate human interaction. Yes. And I think if the place wasn't there, a lot of these problems would be infinitely smaller and there'd be less hate and less
0: disagreement and the forum fuels it yes if you were in the yeah. pub and you mooted an idea that was quite radical y- yes. or, or bizarre just on the idea that people wouldn't it be interesting if do you think that might be true those sort of arguments yes which are always interesting i think yeah and then you discuss it and at the end you say almost oh, well, certainly not Move those ideas on Twitter and you're in big trouble. Yes, exactly. People become
1: addicted to it and they they want to look at it and they want a bit of interest out of it and outrage is interesting. Mm. And people having apparently crossed a line and discussing whether or not they've crossed a line and taking a side in that is all very interesting in a short-term way. But the cumulative effect of it is extremely negative and makes a lot of people unhappy and I think we're better off out of it. And I worry... A lot of it's discussed people sort of say, oh, so and so, it's awful that Twitter isn't taking down these offensive remarks that someone said or it's awful that they're allowing this, you know, and that kind of thing. And I don't disagree with those points, but ultimately what we need to do is not dignify those places with that significance. Mm. If you're in a place and everyone seems to be screaming things that you think are awful, leave. <laughs> and That's what I'm trying to do. And I think that the the thing is, if you go to a pub and there's always a fight, you start going to a different pub. And I I wish we just could conclude that social media is a bit of a nasty thing, a bit of a silly thing. And we gave it a bit of a go. Mm It could have been a lovely global conversation where we shared things. Didn't work out that way. Okay, let's move on. So that's what I feel about it in general. And I feel about it even more strongly when it's in my pocket. Because actually on a computer logging into all that kind of thing it's just doesn't impact you in the same way that you can leave the room yeah as it were the computer stays in the corner mm. it's not you know but on your phone it's particularly as you say if you've got the push notifications oh. that they want to say let me let me keep you informed about they're, they're where they
0: constantly yeah. saying to you you should turn these on you know you should turn yeah, push well, do you push want to
1: on? turn push do you want to allow push notifications no. just so you can hear things that are relevant to you and helpful to you <laughs> Or yeah. do you just want to be uninformed? Yeah. Wikipedia, which is, I like Wikipedia and I have the Wikipedia app on my phone, it mm. keeps wanting when it throws up a random article about, say, you know, about Los Angeles or Venice or Nottingham or whatever, it says, oh, we can't tell you how far away you are from it do you want to allow so that we know where you are you go you don't need to know where you are you just tell me where nottingham is i know how far away yeah yeah yeah, and then i'll i can i can know how far that is just you know how we have a system for saying where things are i'd just rather just tell you where it is in relation to you you know like you know just just tell me where you are and i'll say "No, no tell me where it is but you sort of go, why, Wikipedia? You're a nice organisation. Why do you want to know where I am? <laughs> why does that help you? And then you sort of analyse, oh, yeah, people, people in uh, n- North London are finding out where Nottingham is. Interesting. Let's, you know, let's get, well, <laughs> suddenly, like, oh, holidays in Nottingham coming through the front door. What? Well, no, <laughs> Leave just, me alone. You've told me
0: about yeah. Nottingham in the first bloody yeah. place. I thought you were informing me. <laughs> Don't take information back. Indeed. And it's almost impossible to control things like that. I, for many years, have been... um, Well, somebody writes a Wikipedia page about me. That's me. That's you, yeah. I put a lot of filth in there, you'll notice. Totally misinformed. (laughs) All of it. Apparently I have other names that I've worked under. Never have. (laughs) I I was born in 1947, which would make me a very uh, proud (laughs) 73-year-old. Which I'm not. No, you're much older than that. I'm much older. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look older. Yeah. But no. <laughs> and, uh, and all sorts of things. Lists, all sorts of programmes I've not been in. Apparently I was in the bill for many years. No, I wasn't. So it's completely wrong. And, and I kept trying to change it. First of all, they wouldn't let me change my date of birth because they said, well, all actors want to change their date of birth. You know, Send us your yeah. birth certificate. The genuine article. The gen- They didn't want a photocopy. No, the, my birth right. certificate right. to America. And I said, "No, I'm not going to. It's my page. It's about me. I want to change it." Yeah. Well, go on then, change it. So I changed it immediately. Whoever was running it would change it back. So I gave up. And now yeah. I play a lot of very sprightly seventy-three-year-olds. <sighs> so did, they don't. I mean, that's uh,
1: infuriating and fascinating, isn't it? Mm. That, that, yeah. They should at least, surely, at least agree. That if you, because if you, oh, obviously all actors would, a lot of actors would want to change their date of birth, and not necessarily accurately, but they could at least say, oh, okay, this date of birth is disputed, mm-hmm. so we will remove it. So that we won't say your date of birth. We won't, we won't say, if you, you know, but yeah. no, no, the person who is not you, who <laughs> remains completely anonymous, <laughs> yes. has the upper hand because of at some point in the past having asserted the fraudulent date. Exactly and, it. And you're
0: saying, that's not logical. That's... they might at least just say, Okay, he was either born on this date yeah. or the date that he says he was born. <laughs> Bloody actors. Well, exactly. And then people are free to make like your own side. You know, yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you. Well, I am gonna put your mobile phone <laughs> Thank you. deep in the ground with all of its social media. Yeah. Or you could just buy yourself a nice old Nokia. Yes, I, I, I've
1: considered that, just for the, someone being able to ring me up. Mm-hmm. I may yet get to that point. My nudism is intensifying
0: over the, <laughs> um, the time. Perfect. Uh, that's, that's what we want to hear yeah. in the world. And <laughs> leave us on that positive note. Yeah. <laughs> David, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been uh, lovely. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, David Mitchell. You can subscribe to this podcast on Acast, Spotify, or iTunes, or your own favorite podcast provider. And if you get the chance, we'd love it if you would rate us and leave a review. In fact, we'd really love it, actually, because it's one of the things that podcast providers take notice of when they're judging a podcast success. It's easy. You just click on five stars and then you write something pleasant like, uh, fucking hell, this is good. Something like that. Anyway, you can follow my time capsule on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search at Pod or at Fenton Stevens. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens, and the music is by Pass the Peas Music. It was a cast off production. Thank you for listening. Right. Anyone got Roman Abramovich and ITV's number?